Hey, everybody, it's Greg Bendian back here at the Progcast and bringing you something different every time. You may have noticed that trend. And today's no exception. We got we got some really cool music coming from guitarist Juan Carlos Quintero. He is a arranger. He is a composer. He is uh, a music historian and, and someone who, who is very aware of from what I sense in his music, uh, family and heritage, and also food. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Food's in yeah. there, right? Always, always. We're always, all... okay. Welcome, you know? Juan Carlos, welcome. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here with you. So yeah, tell me a little bit about that, because I, for, I honestly completely understand the connection between music and family. And you know what you what you come up with when you're growing into music, you're growing out of music. When you're growing, what's what's happening for you, and and where were you at that time? Well, you know, when it comes to guitar and our age group, really, you know, you 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 come up with rock. You know, rock is it's handed to you. It's on the radio. It's with your friends. You know, and uh, so I jumped right into it um sixth grade seventh grade and um had my bands we played the dances and you know all that stuff and and we learned tunes you know um and the more you research uh the you know curiosity just leads you to more uh vocabulary and uh so for me it was it was learning rock but also it was it was pivoting from um Jeff Beck for instance you know what's that sound what's that language um there's no vocal <laughs> you know what's going on here you know and um moments like that you know just um just grab your attention and and you start over you know so for me i've been starting over many times you know when it comes to different forms of music and culture and um uh, my family uh my parents really represented uh, what I'm doing now, you know, they really, they had it there in the house the whole time. And, uh, you know, when you're young and you're hanging out with your friends, you're not really paying attention to what's, um, what's playing in the living room turntable, you know, but it's there. And so for me, it was really a combo of all that music, of all the music from the sixties and, um, music that became standards, you know, music, the repertoire that we now regard as standards, they were in their infancy in the early 60s. Um, music from Henry Mancini and Cole Porter were uh, launching in movies. You know, they were soundtracks. Um, you know, um, Rogers and Hart and, you know, composers and duos like that that gave us um, my favorite things, you know, um, for instance, or days of wine and roses so all that music was there and it was really their music and i was checking out this new thing called rock you know and what that was you know becoming and it was great it was great to have both but i wasn't paying attention to both i was paying attention to more of the rock scene it was later on that um you know it just started having its you know, impact, a slow impact. So and what was, was the rock out. scene that was having an impact on you? 
in rock? Well, you know, I'm talking about uh, early 70s where you would hear Chicago, uh, Steely Dan, um, Billy Joel, you know, on the radio. Um, you would hear these um, incredible songs, well-written with chord structures and, and, and great harmonies. Mm -hmm. And if you were taking guitar lessons and you had a little band to play at the high school dance, Man, you had to figure this this music out. And Did you have teachers that could figure it out with you? I had. A, we all had teachers. We all took our private lessons, and I was a by ear guy, like many guitar players. Um, you know, work when they're starting out. They're just they have they grab their ear and they they fall into tunes, easy tunes. You know, but if you wanted to learn this stuff that had chord changes, and if if you were going to be that band in the neighborhood that played Ellen John is because all of you were taking lessons, you know, and usually, usually the piano player had, had more of the sophistication going on. And they, that's you know, true. <laughs> you know, the, the piano player would always tell you, Hey man, that's a, that's a, that's a major seven over the third. And the guitar player would be like, what, <laughs> what, what is that? You know? Um, and then, you know, we just compare notes. I would take down a tune. I would say, here it is. This is how the new Billy Joel song works. And the pianist would correct me. You know, I'd have these block chords. I think I had the tune. But really, it was the piano player that had the, the orchestration of the song. And when you're super young, that makes a huge impact. Because what is it that the piano player knows that I, I'm not getting? You know, how come they... They're always correcting me. And uh, it still kind of happens like that today. <laughs> I look over at the keyboard player, you know, my pianist, uh, Joe Rotundi. I look at him, you know, for the for the knowledge. But, um, you know, then you start trying to figure this out. You, you understand that it's a language that's going to really um, give you some humility for the rest of your life, you know. And uh, now I'm trying to play by ear again. But now I'm trying to tap into all that study and all that vocabulary and hopefully it just comes out without sounding like research. And I think really for all musicians, that's, that's really the goal, you know? Well, so and you know sounds, what? Sounds like you're singing. It's no big deal, but now, and now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it in our lives in our, in our maturity really try to bring an amalgam of things together that's right as much as possible as, as heartfelt as possible because i mean that's how exactly how i feel about what i do yeah and it's a it's kind of like a full circle thing you know uh for me i'm playing i'm trying to play these tunes i write but when it comes to you know when it comes time to playing um the the, the repertoire from the u.s you know um jazz standards as we know them you know i've i've mentioned this many times where uh, it's really honored honoring my parents it's honoring that generation um their sense of melody and and you know song form was was it we're still trying to play it my and, dad's sinatra thing was crazy he there you go he, they went to see sinatra my parents and also uh we had heavy rotation of uh, Sinatra and Basie at the Sands. There you go. 
Yeah. Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones arranging. A very young Quincy Jones arranging. Young Quincy Jones. Yeah. Feature and mentioned and featured, you know. Right. And and that was intense. Yeah. That's um, you know, the big band sound uh was part of the high school paradigm. You know, it was kind of built into the to the to the program. If you went to a uh you know, a, a sizable public school, you would you would actually be exposed to not just the marching band, you know, sure. for the football games, but those same players would be in the big band and you would see them every year. They would do a concert and they would have other big bands come through. So it was it wasn't unusual to see Buddy Rich playing a high school. It was part of his itinerary. Yes, we had we Buddy. Know, yeah. yeah. Buddy at Malls. Know. Yeah. Maynard, you know, Ferguson Maynard. came in. And that was part of the, the education. And, um, you know, just um, it was like a normal way of seeing things, you know. So you kind of had this dual thing going on where, at least for my friends and I, you know, we were into rock. And, you know, we were also into Maynard. That's you know, great because those show. things were around. You know, my my dad took me to see Ravi Shankar and Alaraka <laughs> seventy. I was seven, you know, because it was at a local college. Yeah, that's right. And my dad would go to shows. He took. Yeah. I saw Kenton bef before he died. You know what I yeah. mean? I saw Kenton because of my dad. And it's that time when you're going to see him, you're not going to see him. Right. You know, right. and and we got to see those guys. Yeah. And was, like Vinny Kaliuta talked to me about seeing um seeing Milcho play with the Don Ellis band in, wow. in his high school in Pittsburgh. Wow. He still remembers it. <laughs> still, uh, yeah, it changed his life. Yeah. Changed his yeah. life. Yeah, high school was big. So yeah, tell tell me more. Well, you know, uh as those those two worlds collide. You start uh, your ear wants to go there and and experience more. So for me, learning Chicago tunes because we were going to try to play them meant I was playing chord changes. You know that were not necessarily rock. The energy was there, but the vocabulary was very much about the jazz vocabulary, and it was embedded, and it still holds today, right? Um, a very dear friend of mine tours with him. Uh, Color my world. Yeah, uh, my good friend while Fredo Ray is still tours with him with them, and um, he played on a couple of my albums, and and it's incredible. Um, from what I understand, you know, they just pack it in no matter where they go, and it's something about those melodies. That's the book. Harmonies. It's just you can't be in a bad mood, man, with that music. You it's know? a massive book. So yeah, uh, learning that kind of stuff and being around it, and it was normal. It was on. It was on radio. It was a thing. Right. Yeah. It was the tunes that we knew. Um, it just kind of gets you into that path of of the more you wanted to play those songs, the more you understood you had to take and you know keep on with the lessons. And uh, so I got the bug, like a lot of players get it in high school, you know. This thing makes sense. You just want to keep learning and figuring this out. And uh, so I came up reading about Berkeley in Boston. You know, it was 
you know, we didn't have internet, of course. So it was in magazines. Right. And I would hear, um, you know, I would read interviews with Quincy Jones. He would talk about it. You know, he would talk about his time there. Yeah. And see their ads, you know, Duke Ellington handing out the degrees. Um, and it was kind of a mysterious destination, you know? And um, so I, I figured it out and I ended up in Boston. And that's when my whole world opened up because players arrived with this information, with this sense of vocabulary. And I started out from level one, you know, I knew, I knew my top 40, that was it. And I could groove. I, that's one thing I I was really comfortable in is just grooving. But in terms of the jazz vocabulary, I, I got into it when I was in school. And who were your contemporaries around that time? Well, you know, it was it was pretty daunting, you know, uh, to arrive in Boston and and you know, Branford Marcellus was I think in his sophomore year or junior year, and um, Makoto Ozoni was there. You know, he had just arrived from Japan. He was a new young student and, you know, he made an impact right away. There was a thing about Makoto. Have you heard Makoto play, you know? Um, <clears throat> and Gary Burton was teaching and, you know, you could see Makoto joining Gary's band and that was a thing. And we all paid attention to that mm -hmm. and it was super inspiring. And it just raised the bar, you know, that that kind of understanding of what what can happen with music really just raised the bar. So, um, you know, we just spent hours shedding. All of us practicing, practice, practice, practice. Um, Mike Stern was around, you know, this is before Miles Davis brought him in. He was a, a local player, you know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it was pretty it was pretty special, you know, to be around that kind of scene. And again, that's that's the bar you you kind of understood, man, this is this is where it's at, you know. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't a lot of, you know, it wasn't all fun. You know, there was times of despair where you're like, man, what what am I doing here? You know, how is this going to work out? And, um, but I hung in there and, and you, you, you started understanding that everyone, everyone sings the way they sing, you know, and it's just a matter of how you want to utilize that, that new vocabulary that you're checking out. That's what I was curious about is how you came to, really embrace acoustic if that's a fair th thing and embrace a kind of uh her folk heritage of the music in a certain way how did how did that become so personal for you well i think you know again it comes back it really points back to my parents um i'm from colombia and we would um i have cousins and family throughout bogota and we would visit them and we would experience the music. Um, my uncles had a uh, cumbia band. Really? Wow. In the area. And I would go and hang with them and see how, you know, how they handled this music and how um, how effortless it was for them. You know, the thing about uh, traditional music, we could say folk, you know, folkloric music. There's a certain charm to it. And you can analyze it and say, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. They're playing, the, you know, they're just going some minor two, five, you know, you can intellectualize it and understand what to do with it, you know? And, uh, but they're just, they're just touching on, um, on tradition and the rhythm is the, th the thing. What about the melody? 
the melody is is uh is very beautiful it's very uh accessible and um and there's certain cadences phrasing um that happens that tells you it's the genre that you're listening to so if you're listening to bayonato or cumbia there's certain rhythms and there's certain phrasing that you'll hear in the melody it's sort of like blues you you know there's going to be a blues lick in the melody and it's universal no one can claim it but without it we wouldn't have the genre right the, it. it would just disappear and um same with flamenco or country music there's certain there's a certain vocabulary that has to happen for like us to know a rhythmic vocabulary that's a really good way to put it and it's all it's all very authentic so when i would try to do it i would you know i would get close but i wouldn't i wouldn't get it it was it was later until i started working with different players that were from colombia or had experienced this music um just from um you know playing it working with um musicians from south america so it was in my later recordings i started getting really authentic with it and then of course i just did a hybrid on it because now I'm playing a nylon melody on it and taking a kind of a jazz solo on top of it. You know, I'm kind of hiding the jazz thing, but it's there um, while trying to be authentic. And it's that that's the challenge is you're trying to trying to take something that's really rooted in, in uh, tradition and you're trying to give it a new, you know, a new layer, new, a new something that makes it um, unique and, and, and maybe fresh for the, for the listener. So still working on it, you know, but uh, we found a good zone. I, I like, uh, I like how it's manifested itself and I feel really free about it. Um, because the, uh, the, it's the, uh, it's the, it's the foundation, the groove that needs to be authentic first. Once you start adding above, whether you're singing or playing instr instrumental, um, it's very forgiving. You know, and I, I think people gravitate to my treatment of it because the foundation is so authentic. What's the title of the new project? The new project is uh, Desserts, getting back to the food thing. <laughs> uh, we're just having fun with that because the previous record was Table for Five. And um, so what happens after you eat the meal? Desserts, right? <laughs> it's not that deep. But... Uh, when I was working on the concept for a table for five, I couldn't think of a, a different way to say quintet, you know? And uh, I wanted to avoid, you know, the whole idea of a quintet because uh, it's been used so, so many times and it just kind of locks us into a thing that may not be the right thing. You know, it, it says it's going to be a jazz quintet, which is great, but um, my, my take on this, is, you know, it's kind of a hybrid in, in its essence. So um, table for five was the answer, you know, and it just it just created all kinds of <laughs> uh, dotted lines to the food experience that which all musicians could relate to, because what happens after the gig, everyone ends up going somewhere to eat, you know. Oh, I know. It's like my girlfriend can't believe how I remember the venues by the meals we had. <laughs> and that's in that city, you know, like you're in Florence and they take you to a Dolce or something and you you can't believe it. Yeah. And if you remember it and that's how you, you, you remember these places. Yeah. 
and then you know being on the road with the guys you know you, you figure out what the other guy likes and what he doesn't like and you know hey man are you eating that or what you know exactly it becomes a it becomes a thing and well and, it's uh, it is a thing on the road and and, and the idea of you know it's your comfort when you're in a sort of <laughs> raw environment in travel right. and play and play and travel and if you can get a good meal it's just like makes the whole day right it's a win yeah right that's it and and when they i don't know about you but when they ask before or after like even when you're in italy they're they assume you want to eat after the gig but I'm like, no, I need to eat before in order to play the gig. <laughs> it's funny, you know, um, a lot of times there's catering and I find myself um, in those situations. I just kind of pick because uh, it feels funny to eat before we play. Afterwards, different story. But um, and then there's other musicians, you know, there's man, some of my guys, they can eat a full meal before they go on and, and, and they're not affected by it. Yeah. But for me... And I just got to pick like a little bird, get through it, play the play the show, and then I'm okay. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you get into these little these little rituals. You know, oh yeah. Now you have to feel your your most comfortable body weight at the time yeah. you have to perform. <laughs> and you know something can go wrong. You know, if you eat the wrong thing, and now you're gonna go play. That's a, oh, that's a night. No. That's a long night. I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> go. I'm not gonna tell any stories from that, that <laughs> category. I have some good ones. Yeah. So that that is a good point. And um, and finding good regional food too is such a pleasure on the road. Yeah. Always. Always. I mean, I've you know when I first started in L.A., I was a session guy. You know, just doing a lot of the freelance type of work. You know. So I would inevitably go on the road with with singers and um, some big productions, you know, playing sports arenas and things like that. And I was always surprised how, you know, it really came down to the promoter every single time. You know, uh, you could be playing in a in a stadium and there's just these little sandwiches thrown out on the table. And then you play the, the small jazz club somewhere. And all of a sudden, they're just they're just giving you the menu, order what you want, and they're taking good care of you. You know, it's a it's a different thing. So, it's never uh, just one thing. It's 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 all over the map. That's so okay. true. Yeah. Now it's funny. It almost seems like a European thing more than anything. Like I I just have memories of pulling into this. Uh, a concert house in Switzerland where you come in in the morning and they feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they're there to cook for you. And they're there to make you feel comfortable. And then, you know, you have food after the show if you want. And it's just like such a huge feeling of warmth and, and the, and the hearth right. and just, you know, being in the, in the, in the, in the middle of a tour, having that experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's amazingly important. It affects how you play. I think. Yeah. The grappa does. You know <laughs> what you do all day affects how you play that night. Yeah. You know, if you're having a good day, you may just play just right with, with, with everyone. So there's there's a thing that you have to kind of protect throughout the day. 
Oh, for sure. And, uh, and stay focused. But um, we're getting ready to do a lot of that uh, for next year. And um, so I can't wait to do it again. It's been, it's been some time since I've been out there, um, you know, with any uh, um, duration, you know, or extended it itinerary of any kind. Where are you going to be? You know, we don't know yet. Uh, my manager, Amy uh, Worthington, she's working on that with um, booking agents. And so I'm glad. I'm so grateful that she's doing it and I don't have to, you know. So um, I defer to her and she'll she'll figure it out and we'll get out there. That's great. And where can people find your stuff? You know, we're on uh, all the platforms, the usual suspects. Um, my my website is a good place to start if people want to check out uh, the discography and what's going on. Um, it's out there, juancarlosquintero.com. Really easy to find. And uh, you get more information than you need. <laughs> it's all good. We're on all the platforms. Excellent. Well, we'll look for you there. Thank Juan Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thanks, Craig. It's always a pleasure, man. And looking forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for watching the podcast. Hit us up on Patreon. Subscribe. We got a lot more variety coming for the rest of the year as we get closer to our 100th episode. Juan Carlos, thank you so much, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Craig. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye.